Heavenly Father, we praise you for this Lord's Day that you set apart before the foundations of the world for us to gather and to worship and to rest in you. We pray, Father, that you would be honored on this day as we, your church, glorify you in worship. We praise you for giving us the Ten Commandments, not to be good, to earn our salvation, but being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone to live as the people you've called and equipped us to be in the power of your Spirit. We ask humbly this morning, Father, that you would help us to approach and understand and live in accordance with the fifth commandment to honor our fathers and our mothers, that we would see clearly the great weight of this teaching the goodness when we keep it, the destruction when we don't, and the hope of the gospel that is embedded in it. We pray for our nation, Lord. We pray that you would forgive us for our rebellious spirit as a people. We ask, Lord, that you would cause us instead to see the authority figures you put over us, our mothers, our fathers, our teachers, our coaches, our politicians, our pastors, all, Lord, for your glory. You have put them in our lives, Lord, that we might see our society blessed with peace and order and that we might come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. I ask, Lord, that this teaching would have its right impact and that through your Spirit we would not only understand it but live in accordance with it. We ask this morning that you would restore our homes Restore our classrooms, restore our fields, restore the neighborhoods, restore our churches with a biblical desire to honor those who are in legitimate positions of authority over us, first and foremost, you as father and our mothers and fathers in our homes. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this time together, we as a church, we also pray for Willow Glen, West Hills, we ask that you would bless Pastor Josh, in his sermon teaching this morning, that he'd faithfully proclaim the gospel of grace and that it would have the right impact on that community, that they would be a blessing to their community, sharing the gospel, ministering to the sick and to the poor, and that you would be glorified in it all. Lord, above all else, we ask that you would be present here in a very special way. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reign in such a way that we would not merely hear and leave unchanged, but we would become doers of the very word that is now proclaimed. We ask this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Mm. If you do not have a Bible, please open up to Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and my dad will bring you one. And uh, if you don't have one, you want to keep it, that'd be good too. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 12, the fifth commandment. So we're almost halfway through. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was born in the middle of the 1960s, right in the heart of the anti establishment movement in this country. Rebellion was the convention, it was encouraged and considered virtuous by many. It was a time when younger people were anti-government, anti-business, anti-military, anti-school, and the most detrimental of all, listen, they were anti-parents. That was the generation into which I was born, and I think shaped most of my younger years in life. 
One commentator said, quote, they rebelled and attacked not only traditional entertainment and lifestyles, hence all the long hair and the tie-dye shirts, but also the values and traditions their parents had embraced, authority, good work ethic, religion, marital fidelity, patriotism, and whatever the establishment represented, the culture rebelled against. Sherman Alexey Jr., an American novelist and filmmaker, was born six months after me. And this is the fruit of that movement. He writes, quote, My only purpose in life is to teach children to rebel against authority figures. His only purpose. The 1960s introduced a violent rebellion against all the commandments of God, and in particular the fifth commandment, to honor our fathers and our mothers. I would argue today that it is the greatest attack that this country has ever seen, greater than Pearl Harbor and greater than 9-11. And I say that because any honest historian will tell you that the greatest threat to any country is not outside, it's inside. And the greatest threat inside is to the family unit itself. And this is true because God created the family to establish the very foundation of all society. He created the family that his plan of redemption, salvation by grace through faith in Christ, would come through the mother and the father to the children generation after generation. And so we end up here with the fifth commandment in the number five spot because it perfectly represents our love for God and our love for man. In the first four commandments, if you remember, those were all the commandments that established the vertical relationship we have with God. Have no other gods before me. Do not make or bow down to idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How do we have a right relationship with God? Those first four commandments tell us. And then as we'll see next week, we get to commandments 6 through 10, and it tells us how to have a right covenant love relationship with others. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. And smack dab in the middle is the fifth commandment. Why? Because it's mothers and fathers and families that are to pass down from generation to generation. Our love for God will pour out in our love for one another. And so here we find it today. Most of us hear the fifth commandment and we think, well, I gotta gotta respect my parents. I gotta honor them even when I don't want to. And that certainly is part of the superficial teaching, but it's much deeper than that. And by your grace and mercy this morning, you'll have ears to hear I want to look at the fifth commandment in light of our cultural moment, which I would say is far more rebellious than it was in the 1960s. We've come a long way. And if you deal with young people, whether it's in the classroom or on the football field or the baseball field, you know that rebellion is real. So I want to look at that, number one, the command to honor, which is what the commandment states. Number two, the struggle to honor, because it's hard. And if you're honest with yourself, you will say, yes, it's been very hard. And lastly, the hope to honor. What hope is there of us honoring our parents or honoring God, our eternal Father? The word honor, it's a very heavy word. It literally means heavy. In in the Hebrew, it's kabod, and it means heavier weighting. It's the same word that's used to describe the glory of God. In other words, majesty, honor, respect, esteem, you can attach it to this word. And God gives us this commandment because he expects children to honor, to esteem, to respect their parents because, one, they are the authority figures given by God to bless children, even though most of our children don't realize that. 
at least not until they're a bit older. And they are gifts from God. Godly parents are gifts to the children. Now, this honor will take different shapes and different forms depending upon the age of the child, but you need to know that it never, ever ends. Even after death, we are to honor those who have gone before us. The youngsters, it's, it's more simple than when they get a bit older. The youngsters, there's an expectation, according to this commandment, that they will lovingly obey their parents. Not that obedience with the grit teeth and the stomping foot, but with love. And it starts so young. We want to teach our children to see mothers and fathers from the time that they are able to think about this as great gifts from God that they are to esteem and to respect. I like how one Puritan put it. He said, a child should be the parent's echo when they're young. When the father speaks, the child should echo back obedience and love. Oh, what a refreshing thought that is. Can you imagine living in a culture, or even in our own church, where when the father or the mother speaks, the children respond with an echo, yes, dad, yes, mom, because I love you. You say, what planet is that? That's where we want to be. Children honoring their fathers, honoring their mothers, doing what they're told to do for the right reasons the first time. Now listen, parents, I'm not, this is not a parenting sermon, but if you tell your child three, four, five times to do the same thing and they do not, that is not only dishonoring to God, violating the fifth commandment, but you're not parenting properly. They are to hear you the first time. So when you say, go brush your teeth, go make your bed, go feed the dog, in order to establish this great blessing, they would respond, they would echo back in loving obedience to you. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. There was a time when kids actually called their parents sir and ma'am. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Children honoring their parents through loving obedience is God's plan for the family because it's how it shapes the culture and it's how it prepares us for salvation. It's a big deal. So what about when they get a little older? What about the adolescents, 10, 11, 12, 13? When they start to make decisions on their own and they start to have responsibilities given to them by parents. At that age, they will listen and obey. Hopefully their parents more than their friends. Hopefully their parents more than social media. They won't fight against their parents when their parents say, no, you're not playing video games right now. Go do your homework. Or, I love you, go do your homework, and then maybe you can spend some time with your friends. They won't fight against that. The, the, the child who wants to honor the mother and father, according to this commandment, will listen and will obey in love and take responsibility for their actions. And as parents grow them up at that age, giving them greater responsibility to do things around the house, to do things in the church, they will be responsible and be held accountable for it. Their schoolwork, their chores, their serving. And when we see a child beginning to grasp this, they'll do it without being told. That's when you know, parents, you're making good headway on the fifth commandment. When you look around and your son's taking out the garbage, or they're actually doing the dishes, and they haven't been told, and they haven't complained, they're just doing it. Those are glorious signs when mom doesn't have to say to you, help your little sister when she needs help. What about young adults? What about college years and, and early married life? Does it end there? Do we, is that it? Now we're out of the home and there's no honoring the mother and the father? Of course not. This commandment goes on 
for your entire life. How, how do we honor our parents when we get older? Well, you'd want major life decisions to be talked about with them and prayed about with them. I mean, they're parents. They're wise. They know you better than anybody else. So when you talk about church membership or going to school or career choices or marriage or rearing children, you would honor your parents by having them involved in the decision-making process. Now, you don't have to obey them at that age, but you might be wise, too, if they are wise, too. You want to make sure that they're still part of your life. You want to make sure that you love them as the parents that loved you when you were young. I would argue, given this stage in my life, that if you really want to honor your parents, you would make sure they get to spend time with their grandchildren, because that is a true blessing. What about when we all get older? When the kids get older, and that means the parents are a lot older. What type of teaching comes from this commandment on that? I would argue still that that honor and respect needs to be magnified. That you would make sure that they're still a part of your life. Most of you know that Lori and I have had a significant transition in the last few years. Both our older boys got married in a very short period of time. And uh, we have uh, a house with empty rooms. Um, You'll honor your parents by making sure that they're still part of your life. You'll spend time with them. You'll have dinner with them. You'll hang out with them if you have a good relationship, and I pray you do. And when they get much older, what will you do? You'll care for them. You'll care for their physical needs and their financial needs and their spiritual needs. And you'll do that. Yes, the fifth commandment tells you to, but you'll want to because you love them. You love Christ and you love them and therefore you'll want to spend a lot of time and energy and money caring for them in their latter years. My mother, when my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer 24 years ago now, it's amazing the amount of time that's passed, uh, my mom spent nine months of her life up in Tacoma, Washington taking care of her. And she missed Christmases, she missed birthdays, she missed the church, she missed the birth of my oldest son, Kirk. And she did all that out of her love for Christ and her love for mom to honor her mother properly. And I can tell you that when my grandmother died, it was an immeasurable blessing to have my mom there with her. It was the right thing to do. It was the good thing to do. Ministering to our parents, young or old, is not, listen, it's not optional if this commandment is still standing. And we would say that it is. The fifth commandment is still binding upon the believer today. And therefore, it's not optional. Shutting our parents away getting them away from us, putting them in homes and not visiting them, or in some cases, hastening their death. You know, as baby boomers get older, the necessity of the younger people will increase to care for our parents. Estimates right now that one in five children are caring for their parents on a regular basis, one in five in this country. Now, that's an interesting statistic in light of another stat that says half of all Americans, listen to this, do not believe, 50% of all Americans do not believe it's the child's responsibility to take care of their parents. So we might be in trouble in the next couple decades. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees sharply, remember? They took money and they kept it for themselves in the name of God instead of using it to care for their parents. And Jesus said, you are hypocrites. You say you're going to submit to the fifth commandment and then you do not care for your mother and father. To honor your parents is to honor God. To honor your mother and father is to honor your father in heaven. 
That connection cannot be missed or we may grow lazy in our submission to it. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the rule of categories and how every single commandment deals with all the sins and all the duties surrounding that. And the fifth commandment is no exception. The fifth commandment is not just to honor our mother and father. Going beyond that is the impact on all those who have authority over us. In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism said this regarding the fifth commandment. Everyone in their several places and relations we are to see as superiors, inferiors, or equals with honor. In other words, it goes beyond the family. It goes to the classroom, and it goes to the field, and it goes to the, uh, the Capitol building. We know this. The Bible teaches us this clearly. This is not, not clearly taught. We just don't like it because we don't like to submit. To those who have legal authority over us, 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or governors, honor everyone. That comes from the fifth commandment, by the way. We're to honor our employers, bond servants. Ephesians 6, Paul said, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Church leaders, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And so this commandment established in the family is to give shape to all of society, into the workplace, into the classroom, into the state building. And when the family is healthy, you'll see healthy societies. And when the family is sick, as it is today, you see societies broken. One commentator said this, that God intends the family to listen, to be our first hospital, our first school, our first government, our first church. If we do not respect authority at home, we will not respect it anywhere else. Boy, that's a true statement. If we're not getting it right in the home, why do you think we should get it right in the classroom? Why should we get it right at the state building? All submission to legitimate authority begins in the home with honoring our mother and our father. You know, I spent 14 years in public education, and it didn't take long to see why a particular student was particularly dishonoring or disrespectful in the classroom as soon as I would meet the parents. We'd have the, the parent-student conference, and this is a, you know, a young lady, that I, one in particular, that I really struggled with. She, was, she would come into my office, and she'd put her feet up on my desk, and then I met her folks, and it all made sense. The reverse was equally true. Those students that I had that were kind and respectful and honoring, you'd meet the parents and say, well, that, we know where they got it. The apple truly does not fall very far from the tree. When we lose the ability in the home to honor our mothers and fathers, we will lose it in the culture, we'll lose it in the church, and everything gets upside down. I think many of the complaints that we hear today are legitimate complaints of what we see happening amongst the millennial generation. God's created order is sustained and nourished starting in the home. So why is this so hard? Why did God have to put the fifth commandment in here? Why does he have to tell children to honor their parents? Why don't we just do this? Why isn't it just part of who we are as people? Why isn't it part of our nature to honor and esteem our parents and our teachers and our kings? I think part of the problem, part of the problem, is that oftentimes our parents and our teachers and our kings live in dishonorable ways. 
And so we think, well, if they're going to be dishonorable in their actions, then I will live in dishonor to them. I will not honor them. And so we wrongly conclude that we can violate the fifth commandment. The Heidelberg Catechism sheds some light on this. Listen, pertaining to the fifth commandment and honoring our mothers and our fathers, I submit myself with respectful obedience to all their careful instruction and discipline and that I also bear patiently their failures since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Now all of us, parents and children, could argue quite well there were times when our parents did not deserve to be honored. We were not behaving well. But that does not vacate the office. The office of mother, the office of father is given by God, and therefore the office itself decrees authority and honor and esteem. Even when we're acting badly as parents. I was ministering to a young lady years ago now, and she found herself in a very, very difficult situation. Her mom had died, and her dad had fled to Las Vegas. And so she was stuck with her two younger siblings and no parents. It was her heart's desire to cut her father off completely. And his behavior in the midst of it all was deplorable at best. She never wanted to talk to him again. She said she didn't have any need to talk to him again. And she justified that because of his behavior. After some biblical counsel and establishing some good boundaries, she realized the fifth commandment prohibited her from doing so. And so she actually responded to his phone calls and took measures to reconcile her life with him and her brother and her sister's life as well. Our great struggle, though, with the fifth commandment, I do not believe, is parents behaving poorly. I think it is a problem, but that's not the primary problem. At a much deeper level, we do not want to honor our parents because we want the honor ourselves. I mean, the very bottom of it, we dishonor our parents because we want that honor. I have never met a single parent who said, you know, my goal from an early age was to teach my children to say no. When they they came out of the womb, I thought, as early as I can, I'm going to teach them to lie and to cheat and to steal and to argue with me. We don't do that. We don't need to do that. Why? Because that's how they come out. That's how they come out. In the Garden of Eden... Don't feel too bad, parents. Don't feel too bad. God, the heavenly Father, in his two children, Adam and Eve, they also failed to keep the fifth commandment. And it wasn't because he was dishonorable. He was the perfect father and is the perfect father. They failed to honor their heavenly father not because he was lacking, but because they wanted to be honored themselves. They dishonored their heavenly father listening to the lies of Satan. You know the story. Genesis chapter 3 Satan said to the woman, God knows that when you eat the tree of knowledge and good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will what? You will be like God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And in that single act of disobedience, Our great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, sent all mankind into a tailspin of sin, of dishonoring our mothers and dishonoring our fathers. By Adam and Eve dishonoring our Heavenly Father, we've inherited that nature, pitting father against son, mother against daughter, I would argue poisoning the very fabric of the family. 
the very fabric of the family that God intends to build societies. And that's why when you read the Old Testament and you come across those passages that are really hard because God says to parents, if your children dishonor you in an habitual manner, you are to kill them. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Rebelling against one's parents was rebellion against God. It was rebellion against God's plan for society and civilization. It was rebellion against God's means for transmitting the gospel of grace to children from the generations to come. Listen to Deuteronomy 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, so the parents are trying, but he will not listen, then his mother and his father shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where their, their, their lives will be judged. And then it says in verse 21, and all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. How many of your children would be alive today if that commandment were still in place? Oh, I wouldn't have made it past my fifth birthday. I wouldn't have made it past my second birthday. Why is this so important? Why is it before the commandment, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal? This is so important. This is one of the worst commandments we can break because God knows, destroy the family, destroy society, there goes the gospel. How do you get it out? Even the Apostle Paul, referring to the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he lists all these horrible things that are going to happen before his return. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive and disobedient to their parents. He said, why did he sneak the fifth commandment in there? Because it's that bad. This is no small matter. I don't need to tell you that because we see it taking place in our lives right now. My friends, we live in a time and a place where the disobedience and dishonor of children towards their parents has not only become socially acceptable, but many of us are arguing it's not sin, it's normal, excusable behavior. We don't like to use that word sin anymore when it comes to our children's behavior. That's what the Bible says, but we don't want to use that. How many times when your child has been sinning or a child has been sinning, have you heard these statements? He's a strong-willed child. That's why he's doing that. Yeah, he is, and that's sin. Or he's going through the terrible twos, which become the terrible threes and the terrible fours. He's tired and needs a nap. So do I. But I don't smack people when I'm tired. He had too much sugar for lunch. I love this one. I heard this not too long ago. She's very tactile. That's why she's touching all your things. He's not nosy. He just likes to explore. She didn't say hi or thank you, please, goodbye, because she's shy. He doesn't mean to yell and scream all the time. He's just naturally a loud child. So similar to the Sabbath day, we've allowed the culture to come in and tell us how we parent. Many Christians have unwittingly and many parents have adopted these contrary 
fifth commandment expressions. It is not optional for us as parents to not fight against this trend that's made its way into the church. You see, this command has another side to it. On the one hand, it commands children to honor their parents. On the other side of that coin, it's commanding parents to train up their children to honor them. And there is that expectation that the parents will disciple their children. They will train them. They will discipline them properly in the gospel of grace and the love of Christ. They will spend all the time and the energy and the sacrifice necessary to do what? To raise them up in the faith. Parents, that's your number one job. Do you know that? That's your number one job. It's not getting your child into the best school. It's not teaching them how to hit a curveball. It's training them in the faith that might know, love, and serve Christ. Paul brings this fifth commandment charge to all parents in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know the number one way you can provoke your children to anger? Don't train them up. Don't train them up. We always think, oh, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get frustrated. Don't train them up. Let them go. Let their sin nature run. And then at 16, 17, and 18, I had a father one time come in. He'd been out of his daughter's life for 16 years. I get her as a 17-year-old. He comes into my office. I don't know what's going on. She's rebellious. She's disrespectful at home. She's into drugs. She's hanging out with the wrong people. I said, where have you been? Where have you been? That's the product. So when you combine our sin nature with parental neglect, you get a deep sickness that makes its way into the culture and into the church. So the last point, the question is what? What hope is there to honor? You said, Pastor, you've just painted a very bleak picture. We're born that way. We're not parenting well. What hope is there of us honoring our mothers and fathers biblically? And what hope is there of honoring God? Look again at verse 12. Honor, point number three, the hope to honor. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul says in Ephesians 6 of this command, it's the first commandment with a promise. It is. It's the first commandment that if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Your days may be long in the land of the Lord, the land that he's giving you. And so we, we want to honor God because we want to honor our parents because it's honoring to God. We want to honor our parents because they are a, a gifts and authority figures in our lives. But there's also here with this fifth commandment, and I'm sure that your flesh didn't miss this, there's a promise here. It says, listen, honor your parents and it's good for you. Now, a lot of times I think, no, no, there are times when my parents want me to do something that I do not want to do. That's not good for me. It's only because we're not wise enough to see that yet. So for the Israelites there, this would have been such an encouraging commandment. I mean, he, he just gave them the, the covenant relationship in the first four commandments. And they probably were thinking, oh, this is going to be really hard if not impossible. And then he comes along in the fifth commandment and he says, listen, Honor your mother and father and you get to stay in the promised land. That land that was flowing with milk and honey that was going to be given as a gift to them. And so the 2.5 million Israelites standing at the base of Mount Sinai get this great commandment with hope attached to it saying, you know what? We want to honor our mother and father. And if we do, there's hope that we'll actually get to stay in this land. Now this does not mean for a moment that those who die young are disobedient children. 
Do not conclude that. Nor did it mean that there weren't other factors that would get them kicked out of the land, which it did. But it does point them, listen, it pointed them and it should point us to a much greater hope of a land that we might live in forever and ever. The practical aspects of this promise are obvious, I believe. If parents want what is best for their children, they will be intentional and active in training them up. So when my parents told me and my three brothers simple things like chew your food before you swallow, that was for our own good. They didn't want us to die at the table or look both ways before you cross the street. Sounds simple. A lot of us didn't do it. My dad, I remember telling me, so you got you to make sure you're careful with who you spend time with at school. I remember thinking, what do you mean? He says, there, there are people at school you don't want to spend time with. They're troublemakers. Be careful. My mom said, don't train your, tra- trade your tuna sh- fish sandwich in for ding-dongs. <laughs> that was good counsel. I didn't follow it. Abby, yesterday, in my parents' backyard, we were, we were walking around, and she picked up a, a, a rose petal. She wanted to smell it. She goes, she does that now. And then she goes, and I said, no, Abby. And I took it out, and then she looked at me, and she went like this and like this. Why did I let her eat it? Well, you don't eat rose petals. Maybe you can, but you shouldn't. All these teachings, all these commandments are intended by parents who love their children to prolong their children's life in the land. We live in Scotts Valley, so when my children were getting their licenses, I would take them up and down 17. Why? That's a dangerous road. I didn't want them to die on the road, right? So I wanted to train them up that way. Your life expectancy children goes up significantly if you listen to your parents. Pretty simple. But there's a piece of this that I don't want us to miss. There's an eschatological piece, a heaven and hell, an eternal aspect to this that I think should breathe life into this commandment that you might live long in the land of the Lord, not just now but forever. In Deuteronomy chapter one, I ha- chapter 6, I had it read to you. I want you to listen again closely. Moses now writing a little bit later, he tells us how to live long in the land. This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses said, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, into the promised land. And then, of course, the great verse, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he gives these instructions. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, listen, parents, shall be on your heart, So you're going to believe them and live them out. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So you see the fifth commandment to the parents is to train them up in the gospel of grace. To love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why? So you can live long in the land. Which land? This land? No. The eternal promised land that God promises to all who repent and believe and put their faith in the perfect Son. Solomon said, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to 
you. Lots of things that we are to teach our children to honor, to respect, to cross the street correctly. But the most important thing a parent can teach the child is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to talk to them about that when we're sitting and when we're standing, when we're lying down and when we rise up at all times. And children, by God's grace, you will listen. You will hear the great gospel message of Christ dying for your sins. The Holy Spirit at some point in time will take root in your heart. You'll be born again. And you know what? You're going to want to honor the fifth commandment. It all changes. It all changes because your heart changes. The fifth commandment, listen closely. Parents, it's not you setting up this little military-style home where you have all these rules and regulations. You've got these good little soldiers, and they're, doing, they're saying, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's not what the fifth commandment's teaching. It's not behavior modification. It is heart transformation. It's getting our children to see their desperate need for Jesus Christ, where the heart changes and the soul changes, because the problem is not instruction. In fact, I would argue that most kids know when they're dishonoring their parents. I knew from a very early age that the things that I was doing to my mom and dad were not right. They were very wrong. The problem wasn't a lack of knowledge. It was a heart that did not desire to obey. It was a heart that desired not to honor. So if the heart is the problem, then the heart must be the solution. And you can be the best parent in the world. You can instruct and guide and pray for and bring your children to church and read to them the Bible and share the gospel with them every day. And you can shape and you can turn and you can direct, but the bottom line, that heart remains dead until God makes them alive. And that's why it's so hard. I didn't come to a saving grace until I was 21. And I think about my first 21 years, and I think I did nothing but dishonor my parents. Why? Because I wanted to honor me. Then Christ redeems me. He shows me the depth of my dishonor for my parents and for his father. And he gives me a new heart. And now my new heart wants to obey my parents, wants to honor my parents. I would say it's hard at any age to honor our parents. It was hard for me as a child. I can only imagine my poor boys. Oh, my. How hard it must have been for them at times, with a very difficult father at times, to honor me. It's not a recent problem. We talk about our cultural moment since the 1960s as a recent problem. Listen to one commentator. This describes us well, right? Youth today love luxury. The person's got to be a little old. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and they talk nonsense when they should be working. Young people do not stand up any longer when adults enter the room. They contradict their parents, talk too much in, in company, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, and tyrannize their parents. That sound about right? You know who wrote that? Socrates. Greek philosopher 400 years before Jesus Christ. Not a new problem, my beloved. Not a new problem. So again, I ask, how do we overcome this mess? How do we live long in the land, and how do we teach our children to live long in the land? We absolutely cannot put our hopes in our ability to do it. 
even the best child has broken the fifth commandment tens of thousands of times. Now, the promise is that if we honor our mother and father, then we live long in the land. So if we break that commandment and we do not honor them, we do not live long in the land. And that's a problem. If no one has ever lived that perfect obedience, then what hope do you have, Christian? And what hope do you have with your children or your children's children? No one ever has save one child, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life in honor to his Father that we might receive in faith through his obedience the righteousness that he deserved. You see, in order to overcome our disobedience not only to our earthly parents but more importantly to our heavenly Father, you and I and all born in the sin of Adam and Eve, we need a Savior. You see, every time we sin, we dishonor our Heavenly Father. So every sin you've ever committed is a dishonor to your Heavenly Father, and yet the promise to live long in the land means that we do not. And so what did the Father do? What did your good and gracious Heavenly Father do? He sent His perfect Son, His only begotten Son, to come and live the life that we were supposed to live in honoring our parents, in honoring God the Father. He sent His Son to do that so that we can, by faith, have His righteousness. So that we can, even today, in Christ, you can say, I am perfectly righteous in honoring my parents because of Jesus, not because of me. And this man, Jesus Christ, He did it perfectly. From the manger in Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary, He honored His parents, His earthly parents, His heavenly Father, perfectly. Do you remember what happened in Luke chapter 2? They had made the pilgrimage on Passover. They make their way to Jerusalem. The caravan going back to Nazareth takes off, and Jesus is hanging out in the temple. Three days pass, and Mary and Joseph say, where's the boy? 12, 13, they're not sure the exact age, somewhere in there. After three, we're told this, Luke chapter 2, they go back to get him. They're good parents. said, so leave him. After three gut-wrenching days, Joseph and Mary found Jesus in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now listen to this, verse 49, Luke 2. And Jesus said to them, why are you looking for me? Do you not know, listen, that I must be in my Father's house, revealing himself as the Son of God? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now listen to this, verse 51, Luke chapter 2. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to his parents. Honoring the fifth commandment. And it says that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus, as a boy, fully aware that he is God, submits to his sinful earthly parents. Why? To honor his heavenly father in submitting to the fifth commandment. Now my beloved, I, I don't know about you, when I was younger I thought I knew more than my parents. And I would argue that some of the primary reasons I disobeyed and dishonored them is because I thought I knew better. Jesus Christ did know better. He knew everything. He's perfect. And yet he submitted to his earthly parents. You remember the wedding at Cana? They ran out of wine. Mary comes up and says to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. Jesus' response is great. John chapter 2, he says, what, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He says, I'm not yet to be crucified, speaking to his blood that would be spilled so that we might drink the wine of salvation in him. His mother, knowing our Lord's heart, says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. 
He's going to take care of it. I know he will. Mary knew her son, and so what does the son do? Turns between 120 and 180 gallons of water into some of the most exquisite wine anybody ever tasted. But I think the most beautiful display of our Lord's honoring his parents was on the cross. I think that was the climax of his earthly adoration for his parents. His body was beaten and bleeding, pierced through. He's gasping for air right before he dies. And in honor of his mother, he says to the apostle John, listen to this, John 19, 27. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son, speaking to the apostle John. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. So even on the cross, Jesus is concerned about honoring the fifth commandment and taking care of his mom. But that's not the greatest display. The greatest display of Jesus Christ keeping the fifth commandment is his obedience and honor of the Father. And you know that. God the Father sent Christ to redeem souls. Fully God, Jesus Christ, did not count equality with God, Philippians chapter 2, Something to be grasped, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, listen to this, and being found in human form, he did what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And this is, without exception, the greatest expression in all of human history of a son to the Father in honoring the fifth commandment. What Christ did on the cross for his Father and for humanity. Jesus Christ, God, the Father's only begotten Son, bearing in His body the full penalty of our sins, being cast out of the eternal promised land, being cast out of the presence of His Father, experiencing what the Bible calls the weeping and the gnashing of teeth that we rightly deserve for dishonoring our parents, for dishonoring our Heavenly Father. Christ bore that upon Himself, that we sinners might be saved by grace through faith in Him. God's son, even though perfectly sinless, did this to honor his father. And he did honor him perfectly. He kept the fifth commandment and every other commandment on our behalf so that through faith we could receive his perfect righteousness and become perfectly holy children. Perfectly holy children. Being credited with a lifetime of honoring our parents. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that Christ covered all my sins of the dishonoring of my mother and father and my heavenly father. I'm thankful that I have his perfect righteousness as a result of grace through faith. And I'm so thankful that he gave me the Holy Spirit as he did you, if you know Jesus, in order to honor your mother and father well now. That we don't have to stay in this horrible rut. But I'm most thankful because the promise now applies to the Christian. Honor your father and honor your mother and you will live long in the land the Lord will give you. You say, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm never going to die? No, because he's not talking about temporal Jerusalem. He means living long in the land of our heavenly father, the eternal Jerusalem, for how long? Forever and ever. And that is the hope we have. That in Christ, we can, because of the righteousness of Jesus, have eternal life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, a little bit further, God, because of the Son's perfect honoring, God highly exalted him to dwell in the land forever. And then it says this, he bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, 
so that the, knee, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Your hope in honoring God the Father is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Your hope of honoring your parents well is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Your only hope of living long in the land that the Lord has given you, and that's not California and it's not the United States, that's the eternal land, the eternal promised land of the Son. Your only hope is the work of Jesus Christ. God the Father was pleased with his son's sacrifice. He was very pleased how Jesus honored him by giving his life as a ransom for many. Children, your counsel, as I close, listen to your parents. Honor them as the God-given gifts that they are. They have, if they know Christ, eternal words of life. If they know the gospel and they're sharing with you, listen to that. That's your hope. Parents, Teach your children to honor you because in so doing, you teach them to honor Christ. The greatest mistake we make is forsaking that in the home and they miss God. They miss God. You are preparing them not only to honor their employers and their teachers, preparing them above all else to honor God the Father. And in so doing, they will honor Christ and as a result, they will live long in the land. Now, parents, there's nothing you should want more for your children. Not their career, not their education, not their financial status. There's nothing you should want more than their eternal salvation in Christ. That they might live long in the land. That they might bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ really is Lord. And enjoy all the blessings that come from that. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we come to you in prayer using your name as Father and simultaneously realizing that we don't obey you, we don't honor you as we should. I ask, Lord, that you would take the fifth commandment in the context of the gospel and you would give us new hearts and minds toward this, that as children we want to honor our mothers and fathers, as parents we want to raise our children up to that end, and as a community of believers we want to honor you above all else as our eternal, heavenly, good, and gracious Father. We ask, Lord, that you would use our homes, transform our families, that we might bless this community, that we might push back the tide of irreverence and anti-establishment as we bring forth Christ and the gospel. We ask that you would do this, Lord, not only to bless us, your people, but to bring honor and glory to your name. Christ is worthy of it, and I pray that you would honor him like that. In Jesus' name, amen.